Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City-based jazz saxophonist Herschel McWilliams. Born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas, he is the son of musicians. His father is a drummer and his mother is a pianist and was introduced to many musical influences at an early age. He started learning piano at the age of eight and the alto sax at 10. He opened up about recordings on the horizon, being a part of the great Kansas City jazz scene in 2019. His blog, Live Jazz KC, and how his wife and children inspire him, and so much more. Please get to know Herschel and dig this interview, my friends. Okay, Herschel, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. No problem. So I guess the first thing that I always try to establish with local musicians, because it's such a big thing and it's your calling card, it's just the, it's what the world expects is what CDs, what projects, anything in the works, any any projects that, that those listeners out there are interested in the music because you play so often live, how can they get a hold of what you're doing or what are you doing now? I'm busy in a lot of ways. Musically speaking, I've been working on some, some writing and putting together, putting together a recording project here uh, late this year. Ideally, is my timeline. Life in general keeps me busy enough as it is, but you know, aside from playing and being a family man and having a full-time day gig you might say is you know working on other projects that i have going related to the jazz scene um in terms of doing my piece to uh, help uh, promote what's going on too right on well i guess in conjunction with that give me an idea of what you are doing with what's the day job what are you doing right now and, and what are you doing as far as like gigs at regularity at at, at certain venues, what's going on with that with the Kansas City thing? Yeah, so I I have some regular gigs downtown at the Garment House at uh, Hush at 10th and Broadway. Um, a r- regular gigs at places like the Phoenix, um, as well as the, a new venue at 18th and Vine um, Soirees, Bacon Oyster House, which is right there uh, between Paseo and Vine on 18th Street in the Jazz District. Um, it just opened. And uh, playing fairly regularly there, and also, as well as coordinating and uh, scheduling the entertainment for the for that place. Let's get an idea of the beginnings of your life and where all of this began for you. You were a lifelong long resident of the Kent City area, born and raised in KCK. Uh, the the son of musicians, father is a drummer, mother is a pianist, and you were introduced to music at a very early age. So, give me an idea of what your childhood was like how you got into music and what instruments and, and, and how it all began. Yeah, you kind of summed up a lot of it. My dad is a drummer and my mom is a, is a piano player and singer. My dad, of course, sung as, sings as well. And when I was born, uh, my mom was pregnant with me, as a matter of fact. They had a rock band and they were playing out at the bars in the late 70s. Doing the doing the bar scene for for rock gigs when you know live music was a pretty big thing uh, at at the clubs then and uh, that was their means of income. Uh, they were full time musicians for a while. My mom has since become a nurse and retired from nursing, but um, dad took a job with the, with the some local city government for years and years. That's what my my dad did. And my mom played in a band with them for for quite some time. So I was introduced to music, you know, right away. I mean, in a, I suppose, literally. Um, and a wide range of, of music. Not not so much jazz, I wouldn't say, as, as uh, 
just all of the things that were popular at the time, you know, when you're playing those gigs, you know, we got guys, you know, I think I think back to what we listened to in the car with my parents and my dad is a big Todd Rundgren fan and my mom's a big, you know, Beatles and Eric Clapton fan. My dad likes Chicago and, um, you know, Gino Vanelli. And I mean, just a, a, a wide range of music that I was exposed to. And then, of course, always having a piano and a drum set at the house was uh, was a good introduction. It was just being musical in general. And I started learning how to play drums at maybe seven, eight years old. My dad would sit me down and, and teach me how to play a beat. And, you know, I, I always had a good time and enjoyed it. But it, as soon as I had the opportunity to, to join the band in school, drums was not my choice of instrument. I, I wanted to play saxophone from the first time I saw a kid walking into school with one. And uh, I remember his, his name was Mike Thompson, actually. He was a fifth grader when I was a fourth grader. I said, whoa, that looks like a really cool instrument. I think it was mostly because I thought Mike Thompson was a cool kid. That's what I wanted to do. And my dad looked at me kind of cross-eyed and said, "What? Well, why don't you want to play drums? And I thought to myself, I don't, you know, I don't, I just don't, right? And so some things we do. And, and uh, my mom said, well, you want to play saxophone? Let's go get you a saxophone. And that was the beginning of that. You know, before as I got into school, and I was lucky enough to have some incredible teachers along the way um, in the public schools. Uh, in, in in Kansas City, Kansas, in the Turner School District, where I where I started, we had a great elementary school band director at the time, who was a clarinet player, and and you know, my, my dad lived next door to the high school, so I could I could have some extra time to spend with him um, doing lessons after school once in a while, and. And then, uh, you know, he was a good influence on me in terms of being available as a, as a teacher. And then, you know, later on in middle school and high school, we moved, my mom moved to Shawnee, and I was, uh, had some great teachers there. My high school band director is probably my biggest influence in, in that regard. Her name is Penny Sneed, and she's, she was at Shawnee Mission North at the time, and now she's at Northwest, and she's a co-teaching at Northwest with Doug Talley, who was another, you know, teacher I had along the way. So... You know, there's a lot of things, but uh, I've just been blessed with having a lot of good influences and people around me to to, to look up to, you know, in terms of educators and, and other musicians. What about jazz music? What albums, what musicians will really get you going in the beginning? Good question. Um, my my stepdad, um, looking looking back now, was probably probably had the coolest taste in music now. As I go back, and I remember going through CDs and playing CDs. And I found one. Um, I was in the seventh grade, and I I stumbled upon a, a CD, which at the time was a fairly new thing anyway. But it was the uh, Weather Report Heavy Weather album. I was like, "What's this?" And I put it in, and my my mind was totally blown. You know, the first saxophone player I remember listening to, and that was Wayne Shorter. And, and but the whole band just was like, "Whoa!" And I remember listening to different tunes and going, "This is." amazing and I just didn't know how to explain it and then you know then I connected it back to man my dad used to play Chick Corea stuff and and so now I remember then it, after I realized what I was listening to I thought back to myself oh man my dad used to listen to Lives of Feather and all these cool Chick Corea's Hark albums and you know and I wasn't really aware and I figured it out stumbling upon the uh 
the weather report. And so from there, it kind of took me in a direction of figuring out what it was. And I remember my mom at that point, she also had a Harry Connick Jr. uh, big band album. And I was in the seventh grade, and and I listened to that and heard the big band jazz, and I heard the saxophones, and I was like, whoa, this is definitely uh, something I like. And uh, that's when I joined the middle school jazz band. And uh, and because because of that, because of listening to that that album, it was like the uh, the red light blue light album I think from Harry Connick Jr. And from then from that point, you know, it just sort of started to snowball. And I think the next thing I uh, you know started fine was I went out and bought a Charlie Parker CD because someone told me that was the guy you should listen to. And I remember my my uh, grandmother telling me I should get a Boots Randolph. Uh, thing. Well, I never bought one. I still have never bought one. So I just started listening to things and figuring out what it was I like to listen to. And, and, and that, you know, as time goes by, that progresses and our influences change. But I was early on, you know, uh, that was a big thing. And the next, you know, as about a, as a freshman in high school, I think the biggest thing for me was does the uh, Joshua Redman uh, album, um, I think Mood Swing. I think it was the name of that album um, that I heard as a as a maybe a freshman in high school and I was like, whoa. And it opened my eyes in a different, in a different way. I know you were groomed with music with parents and you were around it. It's almost just kind of like asking somebody what it's like to be blind when they've never seen before. So the only reality has been music for you. But my question is, when you were growing up or when you started getting into it, did you know that was going to be your career or did you have other career aspirations? Oh, you know, I always thought I wanted to be a band director from the time I could really start thinking about what I wanted to do. I thought maybe being a, a high school band director would be the be just the pinnacle of, of career choices and because I had such a great one um, and, and I was around so many people. And quite frankly, to that end, there were at Simon North, there are there were a number of us in her band program uh, under Penny Sneed that that went the direction of, of music education and studied music at a collegiate level. Um, but as the time goes by, I, I, I didn't uh, become a band director, and you know, I went in a different direction and always kept music in my, in my life as a passion and something I enjoy. Early in my 20s, I started to work at a, at a full-time gig, and I, was, I, I started in kind of made that my focus for a number of years. Um, and really playing took the back seat to some degree just so I could start myself on a path to, you know, of having a career of some kind and, and being able to support my music is a, it might be the best way to say it. So when you did start out on the stage, when you did start gigging and you got up there in front of the lights and, and, and the crowds, did it, does it feel natural? Is it an extension of who you are? Do you get nervous? How do you feel on stage? I, I think if someone says they don't, get nervous at some level every single time that they put their horn in front of Simba, uh, then they're, they're lying a little bit. But by and large, no, I wouldn't say over, overly nervous or, or even feel – it's more excitement. I think it's more exciting just to, to know that you're going to do something that you enjoy and that really, at the end of the day, uh, I just hope that somebody enjoys it as much as I do. And if, if they do – I'm ecstatic. What was one of the most memorable first gigs you had? Where were you at? What happened? Kind of walk me down that. 
my most memorable first gig. Well, I can tell you that the the first I'll call it gig that I ever did um, with the summer after I graduated high school. Uh, I got a call um, from a guy, and I, I remember thinking to myself, "How the heck this guy even knows I exist?" Like, I, who, I, and I didn't know him too well, but and they were, they needed me to come play saxophone. Uh, for with their big band, and it was just a community big band, and and to me it was a huge deal because I got called to play with the with the band, and and uh, they were playing down at Night in Vine uh, at the Club Mardi Gras, which is now I think half caved in, uh, and they're rebuilding some things there. But there was a there was a club there, uh, an old bar, Club Mardi Gras at the corner of Nineteenth and Vine, and this big band was going to go play. I mean, I was excited. It was my first time going out and doing a gig and so that was my first and I was certainly more nervous that I'm sure I was walking a little stiff and and moving quick because that was a big deal and I got my first real experience of playing with people who my considered at the time to be gigging musicians and you know looking back it was a really great community band that uh still today and and uh it was a real memorable experience for me because it was my first call I'd ever gotten, and I, as a matter of fact, I, another big part of that was it was the first time I'd taken my brand-new uh, saxophone that I just bought for myself to play in college out on any kind of public performance. So it was a, it was a big day for me to take my new, shiny new saxophone out and play with the band. Talk to me a little bit about the Kansas City scene. You know, the, the, the outside world looks in, and they always know about this history. There's so many ghosts. There's so many... Um, elements of, of this town being one of the four cradles, but there's a scene right now. And without being too subjective, it's doing pretty well from what I can see, um, being somebody that spins, you know, the music of this town and, and covering it. I can tell there's a lot that's happening. I know that there's a desire for, you know, bigger crowds and better money and all of that. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is the clubs keep opening up musicians are playing at a regular clip. So what is your take, not only from that perspective of what's going on, but like from a musician standpoint, the camaraderie, the, 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 the coming together, how, how do you see Kansas City's music or jazz scene in 2019? I think you, you summarized it fairly well so far. I mean, I think it's, it's certainly got a lot of really great things going for it right now. I'm looking at today, the, on a Thursday in June, there are, you know, 13 gigs where you can go hear live jazz in Kansas City tonight. 13 separate scheduled performances of some kind at different venues that you can go hear. So you, you figure 13 times the number of people that are going to be performing in them, that's dozens of musicians working playing jazz in this city. Um, and this is just a Thursday night, and this is this is a small uh, segment compared to what you see on the, even on Fridays and Saturdays. It grows even more, but there's a lot of guys working, and it, which is great. And you know, while I never claimed to be a full-time musician, and I would never put myself in that in that category uh, in, the, in this town, there's a lot of guys who are that are, are working every day that they want to be. Um, I know I know there's a couple guys that I talked to that that say that no matter what, they don't ever work on this day because that's their family day and they just don't take gigs. 
I think they kind of have to do that because otherwise they'd be working seven days a week, and which is a great thing. And I hope that it continues to grow. But as I see Kansas City right now, um, having been born and raised here, and remember uh, coming up, going to the, the jam sessions down in the plaza at the Fedora, 210 at Fedora, with uh, Tommy Ruskin and those guys. In, and, uh, you know, there was, there was a handful of places that go listen to jazz music, not to the extent we have now. We really have a, a great array of venues um, for all all facets of the music, you know, and, and not to save me from from the standards to the to the very creative, uh, improvised musicians that are here in this town right now as well. So the one thing I always hear from musicians that have had any experience with some of the older guard of musicians, like Ahmad Aladeen, um, Lonnie McFadden, Jay McShan, a lot of those older cats, there's always been kind of this tinge and this, um, notion that they want to continue the torch. They want to take what they knew from their elders and what they even experienced themselves and pass it on to the new generation. What's this generation that's around your age, your experience level, really in the middle of a scene that you're not going to be able to have clear hindsight until maybe 10, 20 years from now about what is going on and what experience you have? What are you seeing as your obligation to the cats that are coming out of state Kansas City, Kansas Community College, UMKC are coming in from out of town because a lot of people are coming to Kansas City. This used to be a springboard, but it's now a destination. What do you see your obligation as a seasoned jazz cat in this town for younger people that are coming in? I, my or our obligation with, with the guys my age and, and, you know, I think it's just to do whatever we individually think serves the best greater purpose. And, and for me, um, you know, there's guys, I mean, I'll be back up. There's, there's guys who are great educators and teachers in that world. And there's guys who are, you know, mentors in terms of, you know, the gig mentors, the guys that you go and you play gigs with some older guys and you sort of learn how to be a pro in that regard. And then there's guys who, you know, have different holes. And personally, I want to think that my stamp on this whole thing when it's all done, I mean, certainly I want to support the, any of the young guys coming up, I want to make sure they have a place to play uh, and that they have a, the opportunities that we, we had, even at a smaller level back then, you know, to, to get out and play in public and, and meet these guys, which I think they're doing. I think they're doing great. And I, while doing that, also continue to to lift the scene up in a, in a way that, you know, puts more eyeballs on what we have going on every day, that creates awareness for you know, all the great things we do have in Kansas City, all the great musicians and, and venues and opportunities to play that we have so that we can sustain them. Um, and I think that, you know, if we keep that as a focus, as well as keep grooming the musicians in terms of uh, how we want to, you know, keep moving it forward, it's going to stay in the direction it's going, which I, which certainly seems positive. Absolutely. So at this point, let's just generically ask you this. How do you feel about your career, where you're at, where you're going, and maybe what you want to do as time goes forward with this jazz life you have and in Kansas City? My goals for myself, uh, you know, and they, they've sort of, 
shifted and adapted over time. Um, and right now I would say that mainly I want to be an advocate for musicians in general, um, which, you know, is why I'm working on the projects I have with, with Live Jazz KC um, to, you know, I want to be able to help connect the, the musicians and the venues and the listeners and and so that we all have these resources and and really help to prop the scene up, you know. And I, I, I the old saying of the rising tide floats all boats. Then that's I want to help rise the tide a little bit in, in of the city. And that's ultimately I want people to look back and go, you know, yeah, he's a saxophone player and that's that's great. And, and I, you know, there's lots of those, but there's not a lot of people that you know. I can look back and go, man, that person left their mark on what's on on the city in this way, not from playing, but because they did their best to elevate the scene as a whole. So you did touch on it, so let's talk about LiveKC.com, a jazz blog that's going to have a comprehensive community jazz calendar that's going to have articles. And personally, I have submitted one to you on the great Alvin Queen and Ben Leifer wrote a great revealing article about, you know, musicianship and being a musician in the Kansas City scene. And there's a lot that's starting. Talk to me about this venture. Yeah, so LiveJazzKC.com was uh, just a result of of uh, timing, I suppose. There was, a, there was a jazz calendar here in Kansas City that was uh, up and running for quite some time. It was very good. A lot of information, um, and then recently was uh, made inoperable. I guess you might say the, the plug was pulled, and, and for lots of reasons that at this point don't matter so much. But it's it was a it was a hole in the market that I felt needed to be filled because there was a, there was certainly that music source there before. Agree um, that when that hole became available, I wanted to fill this hole in a, in a way where not only do we have a single source because I think that the jazz is such a big part of our brand in Kansas City. I mean, people talk about Kansas City. What's the first thing they talk about? Well, it's probably barbecue. But what's the second thing they talk about? In a lot of cases, maybe the world, but right? Yeah. So our brand is barbecue, jazz and barbecue. So, and when we talk about that in terms of tourism, in terms of, of how, you know, people want to know, not just tourists, but residents and, and, and listeners and everyone alike, you know, where's the place we can get information to find out what's going on in terms of the jazz scene? Well, having a single source at livejazzkc.com as a, as a resource for a calendar was my main focus. Um, and having a place that could aggregate this information collect it from musicians, uh, and then daily uh, have an, a perpetual account online uh, available it was, it was the first part. And I've taken that to another level with the, with the corresponding Facebook page that we do a daily calendar um, every day. It's posted um, with that day's particular gigs. If you want to know where to go find jazz in Kansas City, on Thursday, June 20th, 2019, you look at Live Jazz KC on Facebook, and that you'll find it. Um, every day there's a, a new message. 
But then the website has, you know, kind of shifted a little bit too. Now, aside from having just the just the calendar, which is a big piece, I also wanted to add some resources for venues, um, a, a list of venues that's back to the venue itself. Uh, it's certainly helpful for people coming in and knowing where to go and maybe being able, and with their addresses and how to find them. You know, and I also have started to add some artist spotlights to the website where, you know, every month we have artist spotlights where we have three Kansas City Jazz musicians and a little bit about them. Spotlights who we have here in town. Uh, and we've added some local album releases to the website to get information about our our local jazz scene in terms of the albums that are out there and available. And I, by no means do I have all of the ones that we could have listed, listed, but I would like to. So I'm getting them up as fast as I can and adding them. So I encourage anybody, if they have to listening now, then please reach out and give me the information. I'd love to list it for you and, and have this out there for people to see. Because when people come to this site, I want them to see not only where you can listen and go here, but I want them to learn a little bit about the people that are here. Check out their albums. Find their albums. You know, there's, I, I include links and, you know, this isn't a, an income stream for me. It's just something I want out there for the, for the greater good, ultimately. You know, so we list the gigs and we have jam session, uh, listings and, and just try to have a resource for jazz as well in the city, uh, and as well as curating some events and we're working towards, you know, starting to curate some events under the live jazz KC brand. Uh, to spotlight certain things throughout the year uh, on special occasions. Um, I'll see where it takes us. My hope is that it gains some traction, which it, it certainly has been, um, with musicians and listeners. And I'm I'm proud of the work that, that's been done so far. But, uh, you know, I thank you very much for contributing what you've contributed the, with the interview. We had a great uh, album review. And like you said, Ben's piece was fantastic. I've got some others uh, coming. I've got... Uh, submission from Adam Larson, who just recently moved here from New York City, um, kind of talking about why he chose Kansas City. What, what was the reason? Why did he cho- choose to move here? So it's a lot of great content, so I encourage you to check it out. If you're not from Kansas City, please look at it and uh, you know just see what we're all about. You know, one of the things as an artist is the, all the influences and all the pieces of your life are a big part of it. You're married, you have four kids. Talk to me a little bit about how influenced, how influential your family life is on your art, and how that affects it? Oh, man, great question. And I'm not sure I was even, I'm, I never really thought about that. I mean, influential, my family yeah, is on the art. I'm lucky. You know, I do have four children, uh, and, and I've been married for 14 years, and, and my wife has never told me uh, to stop playing or not to practice, most of the time anyway. Uh, and whether it's, she's very supportive of me, you know, going out and doing my gigs and, and playing in public, you know, I just, I've been really blessed uh, in that regard, you know, because I, I married a gal that isn't a musician, um, who, you know, all while she did play in the band in school, I think for a year or two, maybe even not even a year, but, you know, she's still, you know, uh, understanding of what it means to me. And I, uh, I'm grateful for that. My kids uh, are amazingly uh, gifted in terms of their creativity, and, and we'll see if that uh, can translate into the music uh, at some point, but they're all pretty young still. They're uh, eight all the way down to 10 months old. 
let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? I don't know that I even have an answer for that other than I just do. I, I mean, people look at me funny because I don't listen to the radio uh, like the the popular top 40 stations ever. I've never been that, even as a high school kid, I never listened to it, but I just do. I feel like uh, it's just my ears drawn to, you know, all of that. And every, every subject of jazz is, you know, equally as appealing to me at times. I get, you know, it kind of allows me the opportunity based on how my mood is at the time or what I wanted, you know, I can listen to many things, be completely satisfied. Um, that being said, I still love a lot of, you know, what you might consider non-jazz music as well. Uh, you know, I have favorite musicians of mine that maybe, you know, but, you know, they're not the uh, people you might hear on the radio all the time. You know what I mean? What was one of the first jazz shows that you saw live that really moved you and got you thinking, man, that's that's amazing? I saw I saw the, the University of Kansas jazz band, like their top big band. When we were in high school playing the KU Jazz Festival, we, we saw the, the, the top jazz band from KU play. That was probably the first thing I saw, like, in a real – from a concert standpoint, then not, you know, then bigger than that, I would say Pat Metheny and Kenny Garrett at the uh, Jazz Festival down at Crown Center. Uh, I'm trying to remember if that's, it's where the ice rink is now. You know, they had concerts there. I don't know if you remember that or you were here. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't remember the year, yeah, but Pat Metheny and Kenny Garrett were there the same year, I believe. Um, and it was just, a, I'm pretty sure I, didn't move my jaw hit the ground for 30 minutes and you know i don't remember blinking but it was just <laughs> i'm just going whoa whoa what is this you know and then and so that that was probably really the the thing um and you know i could think of lots of those early on live performances i saw now i remember going to michael brecker at the folly and seeing uh his quartet with with james genius and and Joey Colorado and and just being like, whoa. Matter of fact, I went to that concert when I, I was going to prom with my girlfriend. I made her go to the Majestic for dinner. Then we went to the Michael Brecker concert. Then we went to prom. <laughs> That's awesome. So if you could get into a jazz DeLorean and go back in time and punch in the digits and go anywhere, who are you going to see? Who would you see and where would you go? I mean, I just it's going to sound like, Prefabricated, but I, I would have to say I'd go back to to see and hang with Charlie Parker and, and and just go be a part of that whole time period when things were shifting so much. I mean, there was a huge change in the music, and it and it happened fairly quickly, um, but it was an amazing time. And I would have to say that would be the time. The late forties, early fifties. Is that fair? Absolutely. So. Everything's going to come down to this. Everyone has a version or an interpretation of you, your family, your friends, your fans, colleagues, but you know yourself best. So tell me, who do you think you are? Man, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad that plays saxophone. And uh, I say dad to play because I'm a dad first before anything else and a husband and a saxophone player and a, a friend. And ultimately, I'm a fan of, of, of our city. Put it simply, I, I'm I'm just me every day, and you know, I'm, my great saxophone player to to 
being kids? Never, right? Uh, do I do I aspire to be? No. Do I want to do I want to have an impact? Yes. Uh, I just want to continue doing what I do on a daily basis. Perfect. That's a great way to wrap and sum everything up. Herschel, thanks for taking some time out. Thanks for being such a great part of this thriving Kansas City scene here in 2019. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for the time. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Herschel for his time, his music, and his cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.